Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 21. We do a brief recap of the Ryzen 5 5700 in this episode, some of the dodgy anti-consumer things that were discussed in that review. And then a lot of discussion of the survey that we asked people to fill out in last week's episode. So discussion of market share, how much you guys were spending on GPU, what you think of various different features, brand loyalty, all sorts of interesting discussions in this episode relating to what you guys have said. So hope you find that interesting. Let's get into the podcast. Long time no see, Steve. (laughs) Yep. What shenanigans have you got for me this week? Oh, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. We've got the survey results from last week's podcast, which is going to be pretty interesting. I've taken a look at the data last night. I pulled all the results and everything. And yeah, there's some pretty interesting things to talk about there. But first, how are you going? Good, thanks. Yeah. Um, Had a pretty cruisy day today. Did a little bit of work in the morning, got outside, did some work out there and then whipped inside for the, the podcast. So I'm feeling refreshed. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you've been pretty busy with all these reviews and things that have been happening lately, your big purchase of Ryzen CPUs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a good place to start because of the, the Ryzen 5 5700, which has been mm-hmm. yeah, sort of an interesting product to see the response from the audience about. It's always hard to know when you say a product is you know a bit misleading, a bit dodgy, whether the audience is going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. But it seems like on the most part that people did also believe that that was a dodgy processor so that was good i guess yeah exactly yeah it seemed like the majority of people thought that that was not really above board not really on um and something that you don't really want to see more of or encourage that was certainly our opinion i know i spoke to you about it to sort of say hey am i out of line on this one is this one seems very dodgy to me does it (laughs) does it also appear dodgy to you and uh yeah you you didn't really like it either you thought it should have definitely been named differently Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're on the same page there, put the video out, um, didn't want to go as far as to call it a scam, despite feeling that it was a bit scammy or yeah, probably more scummy than, than yeah, scammy. Yeah. E- either way, when you're sitting there and you're having a legitimate conversation going, is this scammy or scummy? It's misleading at best. Like <laughs> you don't want to yeah. have that conversation about a product, uh, from a, you know, a company that should be re- you know avoiding scammy scummy misleading situations yeah so if you're not up to speed if you haven't actually watched the review video or anything at this point uh, the ryzen 5 5700 
the the reason why it's misleading is that previously AMD's non-X processors, so like your 5600, 7600 and so on, have just been like a lower clocked version of the X variant. So mm-hmm. there is a 5700X, which is your standard Zen 3 CPU. It's got 32 meg of L3 cache. It's got the chiplet design and things like that. Whereas the 5700 has sort of gone against that standard naming scheme by being an APU, basically, that's just got the the graphics disabled. So while it still has the whole eight Zen 3 CPU cores, it has reduced cache, which means reduced gaming performance. So in a lot of situations, it performs below the level of the Ryzen 5 5600. And again, people, you know, just everyday shoppers looking for a part, they may, you know, be interested in the 5600 or 5700X and sort of say, oh, well, the 5700, it must be better than the 5600, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very similar naming and stuff, but... But no, so it should be called something like, I think you said in the review, a 5700 GF, which is not the most um, There's no good, good sl- name, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, they caused this problem initially, and maybe we didn't, well, I don't think we made much too much of a stink about it, but they, they caused this problem when they created a part like the 5600G or the 5700G that mm-hmm. for the shares the bulk of its name with existing products that it's actually very different from. If if the 5700G was merely a 5700X with a much, well, integrated graphics added in that instance, then that would be okay. Mm -hmm. But I think even the 5700G is a misleading product because you think it's closely related to the 5700X when, you know, okay, they're both eight core, 16 thread CPUs, but they are quite different. Um, the biggest difference being, well, first of all, the cache capacity is probably the biggest difference, but then there's also uh, a difference there in PCI Express support, and you can even see a difference in stuff like lane count. But in that example, it's just the uh, revision or version that's supported. If it's going to be from the 5700 series, like it, it's already difficult with the name in there because what do you make it? Like a 5750, but that, then that indicates that it's a more powerful CPU, whereas it needs that's to be right, a, yeah. So. It's a tough one what they do there. The, the APUs really need their own quite clear designation, like designated series. Uh, yeah, but, like even if it was instead of like Ryzen 7, if it was like the Ryzen G 5700, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then that would potentially indicate to people, hey, it's not a Ryzen 7, it's a Ryzen G, so it's a different series. Mm-hmm. I think that would have made a lot more sense because then, yeah, you could have the Ryzen 7 or the Ryzen G 5700 and then this what ended up being the Ryzen 7 5700 could have been the Ryzen G 5650 or something or 5700F or something like that, and it would yeah, make a lot right. more sense. Yeah, um, that, that's absolutely right. I know I've seen some comments from people. Again, I think the vast majority of people agreed with our, our take on it. But, you know, I did see some people saying that, you know, this is no big deal, mountain out of a molehill type thing because realistically AMD's being very transparent about the specifications of the CPU or the mm-hmm. APU in this instance which is like yeah okay but come on the vast majority of people who purchase these products first of all they're led by the product name and mm-hmm. then most people look at stuff like our oh, core count you know I know CPUs have cores more cores better so what how many oh the Ryzen 5 5600 that has six cores the Ryzen 7 5700 has eight. And it's only like $20 more. Okay, I'll get that. Um, they're both clocked at similar frequencies. I know about gigahertz and megahertz. So we've got a good amount of cores 
and a good gigahertz. So must be good product. And they look at the L3 cache if they dive into the specs. But come on, how many people know what an L3 cache is, what it does, and how relevant it is to what they're doing? And yeah. people might just have the assumption that, oh, I've got more cores, therefore, for reasons I don't understand, it actually has less. Maybe less is better in this instance. It doesn't need as much. I, I don't know. I don't understand what this thing is. Um, I know about cores and and megahertz. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the majority of buyers. So you want to have very clear product names. I think when you look at specification sheets and stuff, like it's not like it's just a couple of things. Like I've just been looking at the AMD website for these mm. processes and you know, there's a lot of things that are listed there. It's, you know, obviously cores, threads, there's multiple clock speed numbers, there's L1, L2, L3 cache, TEP. It's specs you know, vomit. The, <laughs> yeah. Crap everywhere. Thermal limits, PCI numbers, DDR specs, product IDs are listed there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all well and good for someone to have access to the spec sheet. And I think people like us would probably look at a spec sheet, but most people are going to Newegg or whatever, and they're typing mm. in 5,700, and then they're seeing all the processes. And you know how naming is on a lot of those retailers? The, the oh. product name goes for like 25 different words. So mm-hmm. it becomes pretty difficult to ascertain the differences there between products at retailers, which is where most people are accessing that info. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it's just, at the end of the day, it's it's laughably bad. The fact that the Ryzen 5 5600 is a much better gaming CPU than the Ryzen 7 5700. When, that, mm-hmm. when, when that's not the case, if you compare the Ryzen 7 5700X to mm-hmm. the Ryzen 5 5600 or 5600X. So there's a clear disconnect there in the product naming. It's just, it's not a good... and. They released it as an OEM part like two years ago, which was, you know, whatever. I mean, we've seen a lot of dodgy stuff on the OEM market. It's hard for us to sort of police that, if you will, because, mm-hmm. I mean, we couldn't get that system. It was it was an exclusive to uh, – was this one exclusive to Japan? Uh, it was an OEM system. We couldn't get them anyway. Um, so we didn't cover it. But, yeah, this this went to market. We bought it, and, and I – I bought the 5700 not knowing what it was because I didn't pay attention to the announcement. I had mm-hmm. a heap of other stuff on my plate and I didn't ultimately I at the time I didn't care because I, the assumption was it would be it would be what uh the 5600 is to the 5600X. That was my assumption. Uh, and a few yep. people in the comments said, "Yeah, look, I, I I actually managed to buy this particular CPU on eBay." Um and a few people said it even came in a system they purchased and they thought it was basically 5700X. Um, they're like, you know, imagine yeah. my surprise when I started testing it and realized that it was not performing where it should be. I mean, it's an established established thing of X and non-X across AMD CPUs. I mean, if this was like first generation Ryzen when they hadn't established what all that stuff means, then it probably wouldn't be as bad because if they hadn't, you know, had many generations of doing the whole X non-X thing, but yeah, I mean, I've just looked on Newegg. It's only $15 cheaper to get the 5700 at the moment. And so a lot of people would probably be looking at those product listings and going, hey, yeah, $15 less for basically the same thing. I mean, you can read that they do list the caches a bit lower. But again, for most buyers, you would probably recommend the spend the extra $15, get the 5700X instead. Comes with a cooler as well. Yeah, that's right. Or alternatively, for gaming, get the the 5600, which is just $135 at the moment, which is a pretty good deal. 
Yeah, I saw one person point out and say um, they were commenting on something you'd said, and they go, aren't you the guys that said product names don't matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of skewing the words on that one, which yeah. you, know, you you have said that in a, to effect, but you meant more within a product series. So, you know, you don't you don't care so much what bus width, you know, an RTX 4070 has, as long as it's delivering the appropriate performance at mm-hmm. the appropriate price, you're not too fussed with, you know, the, the naming of those products. It'd be a different story if the RTX 4060, for example, was faster than the RTX 4070. <laughs> then, yeah. then it gets very confusing and misleading and you'd have a problem with that. Um, but yeah, just to clear yeah. that one up, because I saw I saw one or two people a bit confused about our stance on naming. Yeah, I, I think you know from from my perspective, talking about naming in the past, it's it's all about like the name needs to be very clear. That's what I've, especially when I was covering more laptop parts. It's like mm-hmm. the name needs to be extremely obvious to the consumer what you're purchasing. So things like fifty six hundred versus fifty six hundred X, that's not too bad because generally the product listing will show the X versus non-X and it, it tends to be quite clear. Whereas things like, for example, the 3056 gigabyte that we've seen come up, it's much harder to know what exactly is going on with that sort of product. Looking at the name and things, it's not clear that the 3050 has been cut down more than just the eight versus six gigabyte comparison. It's got reduced CUDA cores and memory bus width and things like that. So whenever we've complained about naming in that sense, it's been make sure the consumer knows that the product they're getting is the spec is the specification they're expecting. So mm-hmm. again, with that comparison, the 3056 gigabyte implies it's a 3058 gigabyte with just two gigabytes less memory. The 5700 implies that it's a 5700X that's clocked a little lower because that's what they've always done. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other thing that I was talking about with things like, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's called a 4070 or a 4060. That's just all about price to performance ratios because mm-hmm. the 4070 is very clearly named. It's mm-hmm. not the same as a 4070 Super. It's not the same as a 4060 Ti. So as far as a unique product, you're only getting a 4070. It's, it is what it is in terms of specifications, yep. but it doesn't matter that it's potentially a bit of a weaker specifications than previous parts because mm-hmm. it's all about how it's priced, how it performs and things like that. So yeah, it'd be again yeah. it'd be problematic if a 4070 cost more than a 4060 but was slower. Which yeah, is that's right. essentially what AMD has done. And it's really stupid on AMD's behalf. It's very dumb because you don't want to make already a heavily segmented product lineup a minefield for consumers. You want again it to be mm-hmm. quite clear like a 5700 is undoubtedly better than a 5600. You want that to be the situation. Yeah. You don't want to be a situation where people buy a CPU and get burnt based on what should be a simple naming structure. So just very dumb. Let's move on to the podcast survey that I oh, asked yes. people to respond to in the previous podcast. So yeah, good response from people. At the time that I pulled the data last night and had a look through all the responses and stuff, we had about 2,000 people that had responded. I think okay. it's up to about 2,300 at the moment. So yeah, a good response from people. Um, you had to sign in to your Gmail account, so it didn't seem like that turned off too many people. But basically I asked, as you, Steve, would probably see in the, the little survey thing here, mm-hmm. 10 simple questions about GPUs. And what this is going to allow us to do is look at 
quite a number of things, especially things like the differences between AMD and Nvidia's opinion, AMD and Nvidia owners' opinion of upscaling, ray tracing support, things like that, and just general feedback because this is much more detailed than we would do on our community polls. So okay. we'll start off with the results from question one, which is very simply, what GPU do you currently have in your main PC? And you could choose from the main GPU series from the last, I think I put five generations down, but again, the, the results for like GeForce 900 series were negligible. So most people have got newer stuff. So the total results, actually very close between the top three GPU series in terms of market share from people. So I was going to say, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say the GeForce 30 series is the most popular, but I don't know. Well, you'd be pretty close. So okay. with 22.6%, people, uh, this is the top most share was okay. the RX 6000 series, then very closely behind okay. the GeForce 30 <laughs> series wow. with 22%. Okay. And then the GeForce 40 series with 21.5%. So just okay. over 60% of people said they had one of those three GPU series, 66%, so two-thirds. Yep, that makes sense. Total AMD and NVIDIA market share, we had 58% of people with an NVIDIA GPU, 40% AMD, 1% okay. Intel. So there were a few people that said they owned an Intel Arc A series product, mm -hmm. and 1% of people voted the integrated graphics option. So... <laughs> Yeah, Intel uh, and integrated graphics, not super relevant. But this is a greater AMD market share from our audience listening to this podcast than the general market. Sure, makes so, sense. So, yeah, having spoken to retailers, looking at sales figures and things like that, you would have seen from various retailers, I believe the general market share between AMD and NVIDIA to be between 70-30 and 80-20 in favor of NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. It does depend on the region. So like the US, for example, is closer to 80-20 in favor of NVIDIA because people are higher end buyers. Whereas other regions where GPUs are much more expensive relative to income, you'll see AMD's share come up a little bit in those regions. So for us, it's more like a 60-40 split. Okay. Um, between those generations. But surprisingly, more people owned a Pascal GPU than a GeForce 20 series GPU, slightly more. So it seems like a lot of people from the 20 series have already upgraded and maybe maybe 10 series owners are yeah, not like, upgrading. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people probably skipped the 20 series because, again, other than the 2080 Ti, there was no improvement there. Um, you got ray tracing that was very poorly supported at the time, DLSS, which was also very poorly supported at the time. So the GeForce 20 series was a bit of a flop in that sense. Um, and then obviously yeah, that's right. Ampere was amazing. And then mm -hmm. Ada Lovelace has been probably less crap than Turing, but still not amazing. Yeah, I was surprised by the, the 40 series numbers at 21.5%, very close to the 30 series. It seems like a lot of people have jumped over to the 40 series. That could be upgraders. That could be people who weren't able to buy an Ampere GPU because of you know, yeah, the yeah. inability to buy one and things like that. The 7000 series, for example, only had 12.5% of the audience saying that they own the 7000 series. So as far mm. as like your 40 series versus 7000 series, the 40 series is much more popular in our audience, which again... Makes people, sense, but it's just classic AMD. Like miss, it just proves that they've missed the boat with RDNA 3. Like mm -hmm. 7900 XT needed to be $700 a long time ago, not today. Like they need yeah, to be really right. aggressive with that pricing because if they had, if that had launched at $700, which really it mm -hmm. should have, 
that would I reckon the RX seven thousand series would probably be a number one spot. Yeah, I would have thought if um if it was similar to six thousand series value and, and things like that, then yeah, they would have been higher up in the the market share chart. It seems pretty clear mm-hmm. from. The numbers and we'll just talk about the answers to the msrp of the gpu that people bought it seems pretty clear that 6000 series buyers have been buying things that are in the lower price categories where amd seems to be doing pretty well compared 60, to nvidia yeah 6700 xt for example has been a smashing good deal for a, yeah. over a year yeah that's right so yeah we'll talk about the msrp question which again hopefully most people understood what this question was about obviously people have answered this from a wide variety of countries um, so you kind of had to, at least I was hoping people would convert this into their, you know, from their currency to the MSRP or just looked it up. Mm-hmm. But basically we've got a lot of high-end buyers. So, yeah. Well, PC enthusiast crowd, that makes sense, right? That's right. That's right. So the midpoint, so as in 50% of people had were buying a GPU above $600 mm-hmm. and 50% of people voted a price below $600. Okay. So pretty much that mid-range spot kind of makes sense. It's kind of the midpoint of the market at the moment. I know a lot of people have complained (laughs) about $600 GPUs being in the mid-range at the moment, but based on what you guys have responded to in the poll, it's very close 50-50 between the up to the 500 to 599 category and then obviously above. So splitting it into more categories. So only 16.7% of people voted a number below $349. That's so all garbage down there. It is all garbage. So it seems like, yeah, people have been listening to your reviews and not buying those products. 30.3% of people had spent between $350 and $600. Mm-hmm. Then 17.3% between $600 and $800. And then a surprisingly high, in my opinion, 34.5% of people said they spent over at least $800 on their GPU, including apparently 10% of you spent over $1,400. So maybe a lot of RTX 4090 owners. I don't know what's going on there. 3090 as well, obviously. Yeah, I guess so. Now, as far as the NVIDIA and AMD splits between pricing, people did typically spend a little less on the AMD GPU. So for example, 42% of people... Uh, who bought an NVIDIA GPU spent over $800, but only 27% of people buying an AMD GPU spent over that amount. Mm-hmm. So they had much more of a skew towards the lower end product stacks. And then if we look at market share between AMD and NVIDIA for each of those categories, it's about 50-50 for the below $600 category. So 48% AMD, 52% NVIDIA. And then for your $600 to $800 GPUs, 57% NVIDIA. And then for $800 plus, 69% NVIDIA owners. So I guess that kind of, I mean, it's pretty much as expected, right? AMD gets less attractive the higher up in the product stack you go. Next up, we've got the questions on uh, how often you upgraded your GPU and also... uh, what was the next question? How much more performance you're after at the same price? So, Steve, how often do you think most people upgrade their GPU? What do you think is the most common answer? I would have I would have guessed somewhere around every three generations. Yeah, so 28% of people said every three generations and 38% of people said every two generations. Do you think that's surprising? You thought more people would go with three generations? Recently, yes, because... You don't get much every two generations, do you? Not really. 
in some in some situations. It's it's interesting when we look at the um the numbers for what percentage upgrade and performance people were after. But yeah, apparently thirty eight percent of people like to upgrade every two generations. Um, ten percent. Well, yeah, sorry. I was I was actually going to guess three to possibly four rather than go towards two. So interesting. Right. Yeah. So nine percent of people said every four generations. Ten percent of people said they'd only ever bought one GPU, and about nine <laughs> percent of people upgrade every generation. So I'm imagining those are like your high, super high end buyers going from thirty nineties to forty nineties and so on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the majority of people, it looks to be about, you know, 70%, 60 to 70% are either two or three generations, which again is not too surprising, but yeah, I would have thought more three generations these days. Now, when it comes to how much more performance are you after at the same price? We've we've asked this question in polls before, and the two most common answers are very obvious. So <laughs> so really um, I would have thought somewhere, well, I wouldn't have gone below 50%, so at least 50% more would be um, but you know, I wouldn't be shocked if people went as high as like double the performance. That's a pretty good assumption. 29% of people said they want to double the performance. So that was okay. the most common answer. And the next most common answer with 27% was 50% more performance. Okay. So yeah. that's pretty much and, what I was expecting. And then you had around all up around the sort of 24% of people wanting less than 50%. So this was like hmm. your 30, 40% answers. Mm-hmm. And then the rest split among the other sort of answers. But we can filter some of these answers because we can figure out how much performance people want when they upgrade every two generations and how much they want every three generations and so on. And I think this info is pretty interesting for reviews because it, it actually makes a lot of sense. So if you answered that you wanted to upgrade your GPU every generation, the most common answer was you wanted 30% more performance. And 50% of people were happy with either a 20 or 30% upgrade. The other 50% wanting more than 30%. Hang on, let's just process the first one. So if you upgrade, did you say every generation you want 30%? Yes, that was the most common answer. At the same price, this is, of course. Right, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you're going to say, do you think that the GPU generations are offering 30% more? Because I think Ampere did, but I don't think the 40 series did over Ampere, 30% more at the same price. Yeah, I'm not sure. The the yeah, the same price is the tricky part. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, interesting, interesting information. So, twenty percent of people said they wanted twenty percent more performance, and thirty percent said they wanted thirty percent more. So, in total, fifty percent of people were happy with either a twenty or thirty percent uplift. So, a fairly small uplift. Yeah, very small. And then you had about thirty three percent of people after either a forty or fifty percent uplift. So, that's most most people are answering sort of in in that range, and you got a few people. In the, in the other sort of categories. But yeah, so I think that's probably where you'd see people going from like you Turing to uh, Ampere generations. That would have satisfied mm-hmm. a lot of the every generation buyers, um, but certainly things like Ada Lovelace, probably not. 7000 series from AMD, probably not. Mm-hmm. Every two generations, the most common answer was 50% more performance. So 38% of people said they wanted 50% more performance if they were upgrading every two generations. Which you're not getting, are you, at the same price? No. Depends on the generation you buy, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah. If you buy the GeForce 40 series, for example, you might get that with the 50 series. But I think you Well, that's every generation, though. So so if you bought the 30 series, yeah, that's a tough one. The price staying the same is the the, the tough part. (laughs) Yeah, I think for like your... 
40 series versus 20 series and 30 series versus 10 series, you probably would have hit the 50% more performance and then, you know, every successive generation. But it's kind of like people who were after like 50% more every two generations and they waited for the 40 series, they could have got most of those gains just by buying the 30 series product and upgrading every generation. Because mm -hmm. if you think of like a 4060 Ti or something, which is the same price as a 3060 Ti, you, know, you are getting a fair upgrade over like a 2060 Super type of product, but you're not getting much if from that amp from the Ada Lovelace generation. Most mm. of that came from the Ampere generation. But yeah, so 16% of people upgrading every two generations said that they want to double the performance, but most people were sort of happy with the 40 to 60% more performance. So it was around 60% okay. of people in, in that sort of range. Every three generations, overwhelmingly, people want to double the performance. So 40, 44% of people want double the performance. 20% of people said only 50% more, but yeah, most people in the, in the sort of 70%, 80%, even 2.5 times the performance, which is very optimistic. And when you look across those three generations, going from every generation, people want 30% more, every two generations want 50% more, and then every three generations want double the performance, it kind of makes sense. It's, that's roughly 30% per generation at the same price, and that's what... I guess people are expecting from these products and why, you know, Ampere awesome lineup and Ada Lovelace not awesome. <laughs> so at least it's good to see people, you know, the results kind of make sense. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem like too many people are trying to um, fool us or anything. And there wasn't much of a split between AMD and NVIDIA owners. NVIDIA owners were slightly more willing to upgrade more frequently and slightly more willing to accept a smaller performance uplift, but it wasn't much of a difference. We're talking like... Yep. NVIDIA owners, 26% of people said they want to double the performance, AMD, 30% of people. So mm -hmm. very, very similar. It, it's pretty much whichever one you've gone with, you want pretty much the same thing from your GPU brand, which, which makes pretty much the most sense. Yep. We'll move on next to the rankings of rasterization and ray tracing performance. Okay, interesting. Let's see what we have here. So we asked people to say... Uh, when buying a new GPU, rank how important the following features are. And you could, for both rasterization and ray tracing performance, say it was either very important, moderately important, somewhat important, or not important at all. And so no surprises for rasterization performance. 89% of people said it was very important, and 8% mm -hmm. of people said moderately important. So pretty much everyone still believes that rasterization is quite important, which yeah, makes sense you pretty much guess right. Yeah. <laughs> With ray tracing, very important. Only 12% of people said ray tracing was very important. 20% said it was moderately important. So in terms of those upper limits, putting it in sort of the same value as rasterization, you only had 32% of people ranking the two higher options for ray, for ray tracing performance. 43% mm -hmm. said somewhat important and 25% said not important at all. Yep, that makes sense. So yeah, I think that's pretty much as expected. Um, moderately somewhat people a lot of people aren't discounting it entirely i think if this was turing generation you'd see That's not important different. at all <laughs> yeah yeah yep. yeah but yeah so those are the sort of results and then if we split it between amd and nvidia owners right now so look at what you said when you said what gpu you have for rasterization not too much of a difference 94% of people for AMD said rasterization was very important. For NVIDIA, it was 86%, so a little little lower for NVIDIA, but still obviously very important. And then for ray tracing, for AMD, and this shouldn't be a surprise at all, 
Only 1% of people said it was very important and 12% said it was moderately important. Okay. So not a heap of people saying that they valued ray tracing performance from an AMD buying perspective, but 50% of people said it was somewhat important. Yep, so that makes perfect sense because if you really care about ray tracing, you wouldn't buy a Radeon GPU. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But what was also surprising was that NVIDIA owners weren't 100% sold on ray tracing either. 19% of owners said it was very important and 27% said it was moderately important. But then you had 37% saying only somewhat and 16% saying not important at all. So the two lower results, around half of people said the two lower results, half of people said the two higher results. So I thought that I thought I would have seen a few more people going for ray tracing being at least moderately or very important when buying an Nvidia GPU, especially considering a lot of people had thirty or forty series products. But that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, does that, that doesn't surprise you? No, nah, not at all. If anything, maybe a little bit high compared to what I expected reality to be. Because we've had these conversations before. Like, how mm -hmm. many games are there? actually truly benefit from enabling ray tracing like you turn it on you're like whoa okay wow different experience yeah. this is better how many games do that and then how many games do that without you having to like turn to dlss at a low resolution mm -hmm. enable frame generation it's it's too taxing it, it's just too taxing like if you it, it's it's technically impressive you get some great um examples like cyberpunk alan wait 2 for me, they're still not that far beyond the tech demo phase that we spoke of years mm -hmm. ago. Like, uh, I mean, that's just the reality of it. You can get excited about how fantastic ray tracing looks and what it can do and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, totally here for, on board for, but it's almost still a bit of a peek into the future of gaming. And it seems like gamers at large agree with that because they've tried it and they're not willing they're not willing mm -hmm. to accept the the performance sacrifice for the the visual improvement. And, you know, that's not absolutely every gamer, but it, it is the majority of gamers. And, you know, I've spoken with Steve from Gamers Nexus. I've spoken with a few other larger tech outlets. And whenever they've polled it, whenever they've, you know, interacted with their viewers, whether it be on places like Discord or whatever, they're always sitting there sort of shrugging their shoulders going, oh, I don't really get this ray tracing thing. Like most people we talk about aren't as excited about it as, you know, mm -hmm. you sort of led to believe. So, doesn't surprise me at all. Every time we poll this, this is sort of the data we get. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's also going to be influenced by 40% of people who responded to the poll saying that they spent no more than $599 on yeah. their oh, look, NVIDIA if GPU. It, if everyone had an RTX 4090, then, mm -hmm. you know, it, it wouldn't even be a priority of like how important do you, you deem ray tracing or whatever. It's just like, well, it works. So, um, yeah. You know, the performance hit's still massive and I'm not saying you want to always enable it, but it's it's a feature that you can start to use. Yeah, that's right. Like if you could buy a 4090 for six hundred dollars, people mm -hmm. are gonna be like, Yeah, okay, I'm gonna very I'm gonna rank ray tracing is very important because now I can start playing Alan Wake and Cyberpunk with path tracing and everything and get that get that extreme experience. But and, the forty seventy super is just not quite there yet. Yeah, and there'd be likely more than two games that we can sort of talk about. Unless you want yeah. to go back to like Metro Exodus and Control and stuff like that. So the next question I think you'll find very interesting, and this was mm -hmm. the question about what is the absolute maximum you would pay in US dollars for a graphics card with eight gigabytes of VRAM? I mean, so I guess two hundred dollars. So what would what have you said in reviews as the maximum well, that you would pay for this generation? We said eight gigabyte graphics cards can't cost more than $300. Like $300 mm -hmm. is the iffy like 
Ooh, mm-hmm. we're not super on board with that. $300, I think, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I basically said any graphics card with only 8 gigabytes of VRAM priced um, above $300, we're going to absolutely just trash. Like, it's it's yep. it's, it's done. It's, it's a no deal. It's a non-starter for us. Uh, and realistically, we said we'd like them to be sort of capped at $200 um, in, right. in a perfect world for this generation. So it seems like the audience agrees with you on that opinion because only 14% of people responded with an answer above $300. Good. So, and that was like 5% of people said $350, about 5% of people said $400. But basically 85% of people gave an answer no higher than $300, which immediately shows you why a product like a 4060 Ti, which still isn't priced, at below $300, the 8-gigabyte version, that is, was not just destroyed by you and your review, but sold poorly, quickly reduced in price, mm-hmm. and remains to this day a very unpopular product that people are not excited about. Mm-hmm. The most popular answer you were correct with was $200. So 29% of people said they would spend no more than $200. And when you include the results for $150, $150, 43% of people had the opinion that they, the maximum they would pay is some number below $200. So a further 22% of people said $250 and a further 20% of people said $300. So the 65% of people said no more than $250 and then about, what is it, 43%, as I said, no more than $200. So yeah, it's very much in that low tier product category, but it's interesting because you've got new products like the RTX 4060 and RX 7600 that are priced above $250 US, except 65% of people when polled said they wouldn't spend more than $250. Well, those cards aren't selling well. So, yeah, it kind of makes and, sense, doesn't it? And it's good. People, gamers should have put their foot down on the 8 gigabyte thing at the start of this generation, like a lot of them mm-hmm. have and haven't bought them because. Look, you can have the argument about eight gigabytes of VRAM. You can say silly stuff like it was only a couple of unoptimized games and therefore eight gigabytes is fine, which is absolute garbage. We've seen plenty of games like Halo, for example, where you just have missing textures. Like that's mm-hmm. not a good experience. But that's not even the relevant argument. Like people try to have these silly arguments about about the content we made on the eight gig- and that's not it. It's about moving gaming forward. Like mm-hmm. absolutely, the yeah. reason why ray tracing is, by the polling data, so underwhelming in the opinions of gamers by and large, is because we don't have enough rendering power to enjoy ray tracing, and we don't want game developers to be developing games in two or three years with the consideration of eight gigabyte graphics cards as the mm-hmm. as a as a large almost majority of gamers. They want That's 8 right. gigabyte cards to be obsolete, out of there, we've moved on, and really 16 gigabytes are sort of the new minimum so we can get better quality textures, better quality games, more immersive, and sort of Alan Wake 2 type graphics becomes sort of the starting point moving forward. And, and that's possible because of larger VRAM buffers. And that's really what it's about. It, uh, yeah, that's but we, right. But we also have examples of games that are having problems, you know, need to be heavily optimized. And if you just had a 16 gigabyte card and you loaded up The Last of Us Part 1, which I did on a 6700 XT, it played perfectly fine from the get-go. Uh, but they're all 
there's there's a whole heap of different discussions to be had there. But basically, eight gigabytes of RAM, uh, VRAM on a four hundred dollar product is just laughably bad, and even on a three hundred dollar product for this current generation, highly questionable. So good to see that data. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, these poll results are people that watch our content, so. <laughs> Uh, ho- hopefully people have independent opinions about things as well, but obviously these results are going to be influenced to some degree by your views. Well, they don't just things. watch us. I'm yeah, sure that's right. that they're, I'm sure they watch a whole heap of different content. Uh, they probably read a whole heap of different content, but we have shown undeniable proof. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, there, there's, there's, there's tech YouTubers out there that say you need eight cores for gaming, but then mm-hmm. never, ever provide any evidence. You know, they'll say it feels better, or you can have background tasks, and they'll 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 yep. they'll, they'll, they'll verbalize reasons, but there's no scientific testing, there's no evidence based testing, so you lose a lot of credibility doing that. But we've not just used these unoptimized new games to show this; we've shown a, a heap of different games, we've shown different ways in which it causes the problems, we've done the the scientific evidence based testing to prove this and others have as well. Like it's not just us saying this. There's a lot of you know great publications. Um, I've seen some German-based publications that have done some testing. They've been saying the same stuff. Yeah, it, yep. it, it, it's pretty pretty well known at this point in time. So anyway, I won't keep ranting about 8 gigabytes of VRAM, <laughs> but I, I just very disappointing to see it on a $400 product from NVIDIA. They really tried it on this generation. Uh, and to think yeah. how much they really were going to try it on this generation with products that were unlaunched, like holy moly. The, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> the GeForce 40, 40 series was bad and it could have been really bad. Yeah, I mean, this is important information for like a 50 series products. Hopefully mm-hmm. NVIDIA learns the lesson that your $300 GPU probably needs to have 12 gigabytes, if not more VRAM. You said 16 and really... You're, you're 16 ideally, at, yeah. And, and I mean, it, the data is not that split between AMD and NVIDIA. So for example, 56% of NVIDIA owners said no more than $250 with another 23% saying $300. So it's very, very similar to the general data. I think AMD was a little more, or a little less favorable for your uh, low VRAM GPUs. 77% of people said below $250. But I mean... It, yeah, th- those are sort of telling you like, what well, did NVIDIA have? Eighty percent of people said that an eighty percent of NVIDIA owners said that it should be no more than three hundred dollars, and they and um, NVIDIA launched a, for, a the forty sixty Ti, so they they can't do that again. No, and the other consideration to make there is the fact that you were saying the bulk of the people that filled out the survey uh, said they upgrade every two generations. That's and right. It's important to note that's not every two years. So no. if you bought an RTX 3070 with only eight gigabytes of VRAM, which I've heard from a lot of RTX 3070 owners, like a lot of them, that it's that card is a pain in the backside to live with. They're constantly having to tune settings and they're very mm-hmm. limited in the amount of ray tracing they can use because it constantly spills over an eight gigabyte frame buffer. So that was, that was purchased uh, four years ago now. Uh, well, mm. not quite, because it was the end of 2020. But let's say three and a half years ago now, that that product was purchased, and the bulk of the people say every two generations. So that's going to see them upgrading potentially at the end of this year. Um, but the point is, yeah. every two generations is a four year span, re- really at, at yeah. current pace. So you've got to think about that. That VRAM buffer you're buying today 
has to be very usable in four years from now. And especially if you're hoping to sell that product on the secondhand market, like mm-hmm. 3070s, have, I haven't looked, but I imagine they've probably tanked in value be, uh, largely because of VRAM. I'd be interesting to see if they've tanked in value more than sort of like the 10 gigabyte and 12 gigabyte cards, but that's a investigation for a different time. But yeah, VRAM mm-hmm. matters because you're keeping the product for more than 10 minutes. 41% of people said they upgrade it every three, four, or five generations. So again, yeah. it's like, it's not just 40% of people every two generations, it's 40% of people keeping their GPU for like six years, That's eight right. years. Yeah. Uh, look, come back to me and we'll talk about eight gigabytes of VRAM in six years. <laughs> and for the people that say silly stuff like 16 gigabytes of VRAM, I say silly because you can already prove it scientifically to be wrong. But people who say that the 16 gigabyte 7600 XT is a complete scam from AMD and you can't use that VRAM, come back in six years and we'll chat about it. We'll we'll, we'll see. I'm sure you'll be playing games on low quality settings, but the 16 gigabyte texture packs will look a lot nicer than the 8 gigabyte ones. Yeah, that's right. So let's move on now to talk about the final three questions. I'll go back and we'll look at the percentage of people that selected the features at the end. But for now, I asked three questions. Would you consider buying an NVIDIA GPU next time you're upgrading? And then the same questions for AMD and Intel. <laughs> These are sort so, of feel, feeling-based questions. I don't this know. This is how a much... feeling-based question. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't so, put too much into this one, but we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting. We'll get into it. Yeah. So between the NVIDIA and AMD responses, in general, pretty similar in terms of the split, you know, with most people saying either absolutely yes, probably yes. Those are sort of the most common answers for most people. Intel was a little different with 50% of people saying probably not and Mm. 15% of people saying absolutely not. So you only had around 30, low 30% people saying that they would consider an an Intel GPU is in in the yes categories. Yes. a lot of problems there. A lot of lot of problems there. They've made they've made impressive yes. improvements. They've they've made uh, impressive strides over a relatively short period of time. But as I say, people like Steve, mm-hmm. why aren't you all over the Arc GPUs? Why aren't you recommending them as the best budget mm-hmm. options? It's because every time I plug one in, I only need to run about six tests, and then I, there's a showstopper. A game won't load, or it crashes, or there's problems. So, you know, yep. they've they've come a long way, but they have a, a long way to go before they're on a equal playing field with AMD and Nvidia in terms of compatibility and support. That's right. So when we look at, you know, people who responded that they had an NVIDIA GPU and had an AMD GPU in answering these questions, most people were very happy with their GPU purchases. So for example, mm-hmm. NVIDIA owners, 53% of people said they absolutely would consider another NVIDIA GPU and 38% of people said they probably would consider another NVIDIA GPU. So we're talking vast majority of people happy with their NVIDIA purchase. 7% of people said probably not which is interesting, but most people said absolutely. Same with AMD. You had 97% of people saying either absolutely or probably yes. Only 3% of people said probably not. So Mm -hmm. AMD GPU owners, again, quite happy to consider an AMD GPU in the future. And interestingly, ARC owners, there was like a few ARC owners, so not many. I think there was a handful. They were also happy with their purchase. Oh, okay. Interestingly, 94% of people said absolutely or probably yes that they would consider an Intel GPU the next time they're upgrading and only 6% of people, which is probably one or two people, said probably not. So most people happy with their purchases. The interesting stuff is would an NVIDIA owner 
choose an AMD GPU? And would an AMD GPU owner choose an NVIDIA GPU next generation or consider purchasing those products? So let's get into mm. that information. Right, okay, so if you own an AMD GPU, 7% of people said they absolutely would not consider an NVIDIA GPU and 33% of people said that they would probably not consider an NVIDIA GPU. So hmm. I now my opinion is that no one in this poll should be answering absolutely not to a GPU brand. At best, you could say probably not because of features or whatever, but absolutely not is a very closed-minded opinion. So that that's at least what I, I think about this. But what's interesting to me is that 7% of AMD GPU owners said that they would not absolutely not consider an NVIDIA GPU, but only 5% of NVIDIA owners said they absolutely would not consider an AMD GPU. So 7% so to 5%, did you say? That's right. Yeah, it's much the, much of a muchness, really. It's, it's similar, but what's also interesting is that only 25% of NVIDIA owners said they would probably not consider an AMD GPU. So you've got 30% saying probably or absolutely not NVIDIA owners thinking about buying AMD, but you have 40% yeah. of AMD owners saying they probably would not consider NVIDIA. Going beyond just this polling data, but I think by and large, most people aren't too radical with this sort of stuff. Like I get there's brand loyalty. Like if you buy a Toyota and it was good value, had great features and it looked after you and your family for five years, you're like, I'm probably going to get another one of these. Like some people mm -hmm. might test drive a few other vehicles, but they're like, this thing's been really good to me. Like why go with, stick with the devil, you know, <laughs> type deal. But it, yeah, yeah, you're taking a plunge into something that's a bit unknown. And if this has been great, well, there's nothing to say the next one for the next five years won't be great and look after you. And sort of the same thing with GPUs. If you buy an, an AMD GPU and you don't have any driver-related problems, which I believe is true for most people, you know, it was good value, the performance is good, you enjoy it, you have a lot of good experiences gaming with it. And it's, it kind of becomes this personal thing where you're like, well, this was really good. And you do your research for the next purchase and it seems like it's, you know, much of a muchness. You just go, oh, well, well mm -hmm. AMD was good last time. I'll go with them again. And the same thing with NVIDIA. So that doesn't surprise me too much that people are willing to sort of or tend to stick with what they have what they know, with what they've got and what's worked well. You're really only going to change direction if, you know, and you hear people all the time like, oh, I bought a, a Radeon GPU and I had nothing but driver problems, so I'm getting NVIDIA. Okay, good luck with that. And then you hear people who are like, you know, I've had an NVIDIA GPU and I've, I've had this problem, so I'm going to get an AMD GPU. It's like, well, Hopefully you don't have any other problems. <laughs> like they both have their yeah. fair share of issues and problems. So yeah, I th I think the the difficulty with with this data is is more towards AMD trying to gain market share. Because if you look at like how happy are Nvidia owners with their GPU, they're pretty happy. How likely are they to consider an AMD GPU? Forty five percent of people said probably yes. Twenty three percent of people said absolutely yes. Um, yeah, that's as positive you, data for for AMD. But <laughs> but but the interesting point is that fifty three percent of Nvidia buyers would absolutely consider an Nvidia GPU compared to twenty three percent for AMD. So people are more likely, based on this data, at least they've indicated they're more comfortable going with an Nvidia GPU for the next purchase as an Nvidia owner. So which is what the market share shows. Which is what the market share shows, right? This data is suggesting that the people that own each brand are the next buyers of the, the same brand in the next generation. Which makes sense for the reasons I just 
which gave you. But yeah, absolutely. It's like if you buy a if you buy a Toyota Camry for thirty thousand dollars and you mm-hmm. bought that and it was great, and then you look at buying another one for thirty thousand dollars. But there's a, a, a relatively new brand that's emerged and the car's half the price, which is what we're seeing with, what's that new, is it BTC or something, the Chinese brand that's like beating right, Tesla yeah, now? Yeah. I'm not super familiar yeah. with EVs because I'm not interested, but you get a new brand that comes in, they're offering, you know, maybe questionable quality, but they're getting fairly good reviews, but it's half the price. People are like, yep. well, don't really know this brand. There's some things here that's a bit iffy, but for half the price, it's got a you know a five year mm-hmm. warranty in Australia or whatever. I'm going to take the plunge. So my point being, and this is what we've been saying for so long now, if AMD just pulled their finger out and stopped stuffing around and released products like the 7900 XT at prices mm-hmm. that make sense, if you're sitting there with your Pascal, your Turing-based GP, and you're like, I really want to upgrade, far out. AMD is offering 20 gigabytes of VRAM, 30% more rasterization performance, and like the same price as NVIDIA. Uh, have I used ray tracing that much? Do I care that much? The ray tracing still kind of works on this product. You know, FSR is not too bad. I, honestly, it's pretty compelling. I'm going to take the plunge. And that, that's how they got yeah. most people like the 5700 XT and stuff like that. And it's how they got people with Ryzen. Like they've already, I, I feel like this is the conversation we've had 10,000 times today. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're making a, a pretty good point. It's the, if we go back to like the NVIDIA owners considering AMD for the next, next generation, right? Mm-hmm. You've got 46% of people saying that they probably would consider AMD and 23% saying absolutely yes, right? So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a good chunk of people there who are considering switching brands for the next generation mm-hmm. they're not doing so <laughs> because of the market share numbers right but amd is not giving them a reason to that's they're right like, AMD, oh, give me a AMD, reason amd amd needs to start converting the probabilities into absolutes right like mm-hmm. they need to be offering the compelling stuff so that the 45 percent of people who are probably considering it turn into like you know 40 percent absolutely would consider them so the people this generation are seeing what they're offering. That let's say you know people upgrading every two or three generations. That's what we've we've seen from this data, right? People should be looking at this generation, thinking about their next upgrade, seeing what AMD is offering, and going, "I want to buy the next AMD GPU when it comes my time, when when it's four or six years in the future, or whatever, to do an upgrade." And I think a lot of people who are looking at the what they've offered this generation is it's not not shifting that too much. I don't think the seven thousand series will have changed the probabilities into absolutes in any significant number. Whereas if they were really good value and really compelling, I think you would see a lot more people voting like, yeah, absolutely, I'll be considering an AMD for the next next generation. I mean, it's similar for AMD to NVIDIA. 26% of people said they would absolutely consider NVIDIA next gen if they'd bought an AMD GPU this time, 33% probably. So, you know, NVIDIA has got some challenges to convince people to switch from AMD as well, but they're in a dominant market position. They're not, they don't really need to convince people to mm-hmm. absolutely consider NVIDIA next time because they can sell to their own audience and be very happy for the next however long, right? So Yeah, it takes generations to turn that sort of stuff around. Yes, that's right. But uh, at least one thing that I was really happy to see from these answers is that the majority of our audience is very open to changing GPU brands and is considering things in what I feel is a very measured way. There is a bit of brand loyalty that we're seeing from these these poll results and things like that. But on the whole, 
the majority of people are open to switching switching brands, switching it up and buying products that, that are sort of the best, which I guess is why you'd come to Hard Run Box, right? Yeah, I mean, all of that makes sense. And I personally, if, if, if I was buying my GPUs and didn't have all the GPUs to test myself, I was just you know, mm-hmm. a regular gamer, let's say, and I'd bought a Radeon GPU and it looked after me well and it worked well. If I mm-hmm. watch a video and it's, you know, the Radeon A the, the the Radeon and GeForce GPUs are sort of much of a muchness. You get some extra features that may be of higher quality with the GeForce GPU. It's not really going to be enough to sway me if I've had a good experience with that brand. I'm not going to go, well, for roughly the same money, I can get this one that maybe is a bit better with these things. You've really got to, it's got to be pretty convincing to make you change from what you already know and what you're familiar with. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So let's talk about the final question, probably the most interesting question, which was I asked which of these features are important to you when buying a graphics card and you could select all of the features that applied. So I'll just quickly run through these features before we talk about them. You could select rasterization performance, ray tracing performance, compute application performance, AI performance, upscaling, frame generation, video encoding, good track record with driver stability, driver software. So this is like your NVIDIA control panel and radio software quality long-term driver support, so that means like not ending support like we saw with some Vega products, low power consumption and adequate VRAM capacity. So there were 12 features there that people could choose from, and so Mm -hmm. let's run through them. So no surprises again with rasterization performance. We'd seen that previously. 95% of people ticked that this was an important feature. And again, 98% of AMD owners, 94% of NVIDIA owners. So very much as expected. For ray tracing, 39% of people selected okay. this this feature. So that corresponds roughly to your sort of very and moderately interested, important from the, the so question we it, talked about previously. Is that the second most upvoted thing in this list? Not even close. Oh, good. I was going to say that's not, not even close. Okay. 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 Because I was probably going to guess <sighs> there's a lot of things here that could be second. I'm tossing up between good track record or experience with driver stability bugs. I'm probably leading with that as the second, but there's also you know driver software quality. That could be second. Maybe even adequate VRAM capacity. They're mm-hmm. the three I'm tossing up between, probably leading towards good track or uh, good track record. I'll finish I'll I'll answer your question in just a moment. Okay, okay. <laughs> Because uh, with ray tracing, there is a big split between NVIDIA and AMD. Only 20% of AMD owners selected ray tracing as being important, but 52% of NVIDIA owners selected ray tracing. And that goes up to 73% for GeForce 40 series owners. So of people who said they owned a 40 series product, 73% that r- said that ray tracing was important, which kind of makes sense. And then it's like 46% for the 30 series, 38% for the, the 20 series. So as you go up in the... The generations, more people interested, whereas it's very flat for your Radeon owners, 21% for 7,000, 19% for 6,000, so pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So the, the next most popular was VRAM capacity, adequate okay. VRAM capacity, with a surprisingly high 88% of people selecting this, including 93% of AMD owners and 85% of NVIDIA owners. So this is a very important feature. These three features, the rasterization and adequate VRAM capacity were by far the most highly voted answers. Not so, shocking, not shocking. I mean, yeah, it's yep. people pay attention. You know? Like I, I know a lot of people have been burnt with stuff like RTX 3070s, 3070 Ti's, and even older mm-hmm. GPUs, Like, not, and, and not necessarily burnt with older generation GPUs. Like things need upgrading, that happens. I think it's fair to say, 
the the GeForce 30 people that paid a lot of money for 8 gigabytes of Ethereum, they were burnt. Mm-hmm. I think Turing-based owners, it, they just ran their course. Like, it was annoying. It's like, well, this thing needs to be yep. upgraded. But they're, then they're faced with, wow, I have to pay how much for 12 gigabytes? <laughs> so yep. people have, people get the VRAM thing. They, they know you know what that 100%. leads to so 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 that's not shocking to me that was that was definitely i picked three things that that it could be um, yes so you're you're pretty close with option number four as well the fourth most important which was good track record with driver stability and quality mm-hmm. and things like that so this makes sense 65 percent of people said that this was important and that was 63 percent amd 67 percent nvidia and only 24 percent of intel owners said that this was important which i think <laughs> kind of tracks because Intel does not have a track record with drivers. So that makes sense, I guess. So, yeah, NVIDIA owners obviously slightly more interested in this, but it's pretty similar between both brands. People are interested in having a good track record with drivers. It makes a lot of sense. So, the next most important feature was long term driver support with 52% of people. So, obviously, I think this is a fairly, it's like a staple of GPUs. I imagine a lot of people aren't probably the half of people that didn't click this were not really considering this because it's just so ubiquitous most of the time. 58% of AMD owners thought this was important, 48% of NVIDIA owners and 65% of Intel owners. So I think that makes pretty much sense. You want long-term driver support, but it's just something that it comes with all GPUs. So it's kind of something you get generally speaking with these products. Mm-hmm. And your other option that you said previously, which was driver software quality. So that this is your- in there, yeah. NVIDIA G4, uh, your GeForce experience, Radeon software, control panel, things. So 49% of people said that this was important. And so that was 56% of AMD owners and 44% of NVIDIA owners and only 24% of Intel owners. So I think this kind of matches with where those brands are at the moment. I feel like Radeon software is probably a bit better than you would see from your NVIDIA control panel, GeForce mm, experience, those sort of things. Is. It definitely is, yeah. So Which is shocking to me. But it, yeah, I know, right? Years but, now, yeah, yeah. So cer- certainly, um, that plays out a little bit in the data, but it's still important for both brands t- to some degree. So, uh, so those those last two were pretty close. 50 percent of people, roughly, for the driver software quality stuff. The next most important feature was upscaling quality. That was what I was going to guess, but you didn't ask me, so that's all right. <laughs> so that's okay. So, forty four percent of people said this was important. Yep. And this this has a big discrepancy between Nvidia and AMD. So only 28% okay. of AMD owners said this was important, but 55% of Nvidia owners and 59% of Intel owners said this was important. So again, makes sense. Nvidia yeah. owners have probably chosen the card based on things like DLSS. DLSS. Yep. Very much an important feature. Now the next the next feature is very close to upscaling in terms of percentages. What do you reckon it is from the remaining options? I don't know where ray tracing falls. Mm-hmm. Um, like frame generation, feature quality. I think video encoding would be probably pretty low. I would have thought power consumption efficiency would be pretty low, though I would probably rank that a bit higher personally. And it is our audience. So I'd, I, I don't want it to be frame generation quality. I want it to be like power efficiency Okay, it's power efficiency. Oh, thank so you. So <laughs> 43% of people, so this is higher than ray tracing performance, which yep. had, what was ray tracing? Ray tracing was 39% of people, low power consumption is 43% of people. 
Um, so yeah, this is obviously very, very important for, for most buyers. 44% of NVIDIA owners, 40% of AMD owners, and 30% of Intel owners said that this was important. So NVIDIA GPUs are typically a bit more efficient. So again, that split is, I guess, makes sense, but it's still pretty close. Like it's not like NVIDIA is dominating in terms of power consumption, but still having 40% of people saying that this is important and ranking it above video encoding and frame generation and things like that, I think is, I guess, just goes to show what people are sort of valuing uh, in these sorts of things. So mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, I would say. Next up, ray tracing. That's something that we talked about previously. So that was next in the tier list with 39%, as I said. And then we get to the the bottom four features, which are... I hope it's video encoding quality is next. So yeah, these are a step down in terms of importance for people. So the next feature is indeed video encoding quality with 28% of people saying that this is important. 24% of AMD owners, 30% of NVIDIA owners, and a surprisingly high 59% of Intel owners, which suggests to me that potentially things like AV1 encoding... Cheap AV1 encoder, yeah. Yeah, get a cheap AV1 encoder on your Intel GPU. So yeah, obviously... NVIDIA owners, again, encoding quality tends to be a little better quality on NVIDIA GPUs, but still 70% of NVIDIA owners don't think that this is that important, which I thought was a bit interesting. But So the final three features have very low percentages. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, From our audience and like in, I guess the next one would be I'm tossing up between like compute application performance and frame generation. I actually wouldn't be surprised if compute application performance beat frame gen, but if I had to put money on it, I'd probably just pick frame gen. Yeah. So both of those are actually pretty close together in terms of percentages. Mm -hmm. Frame generation, 17% of people said this was important and compute application performance, 16%. So so I just got it. with Pretty close. Both of these uh, features, NVIDIA owners said were more important to them. So 22% of NVIDIA owners said frame gen was important compared to 9% for AMD. And for compute, 19% of NVIDIA owners to 12% for AMD. There are some outliers. So for example, GeForce 40 series owners specifically, 40% of those people said that frame generation was important when buying a graphics card. So it seems that frame gen has moved the needle a little bit in terms of interesting people who ended up buying a 40 series GPU. But for most other owners, 30 series, 20 series, we're down in the 14, 16%. RX 6000 series owners are like 8%. So it's uh, generally not a feature that people were interested in. And then compute performance is very similar across the board. Most people don't really rate that feature as overly important. And that leads us to the last feature, which is AI performance. Only 8% of people said that this was important. Uh, 10% NVIDIA, 4% AMD, and 9% Intel. No real outliers in terms of GPU series. So it's not like 40 series owners have specifically voted this feature or anything. It's just generally pretty low. Not, not many people are overly interested in, in AI performance, which, which kind of makes sense. In the end, I made some rankings of what AMD and NVIDIA owners think are most important from like most important to least important. So I'll just quickly run through these um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. So For AMD's rankings, the top five features were rasterization and VRAM capacity, which was the same for both brands, driver track record, long-term driver support, and then driver software quality. So all of those top five features, more than 50% of people said that that was important. Then we get to low power consumption, upscaling, video encoding, ray tracing, compute, frame gen, and AI in that order. So those would be the, the bottom features. For NVIDIA, 
The top five features are rasterization, VRAM driver track record, as mentioned before, then upscaling and ray tracing. So again, the top five features there, over 50% importance for NVIDIA owners. Then we get to long-term driver support, driver software quality, low power consumption, video encoding, frame gen, compute performance, AI performance. So again, there's a little bit higher preference for upscaling and ray tracing among NVIDIA buyers, a little bit higher for driver software features and things like that for AMD. And what was also interesting was that generally NVIDIA owners selected more features. So out of the amount of boxes that you could select, sure. uh, generally speaking, NVIDIA, people, NVIDIA owners selected more of them than AMD owners, which again, I think plays into how NVIDIA is typically perceived as having better features. And that plays out in terms of buyers thinking that the features are more important, which, which makes sense. So mm -hmm. there's not too many surprises there, I don't think, in terms of rankings or like brand versus brand, but it's interesting to see how many people, like I think upscaling was surprisingly low for me. I would have thought that more than 40, let me just 44% of people would have selected upscaling, but apparently not. Although 70% of Ada Lovelace owners said it was important, but still not that many. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's definitely in line with my opinions on it. Um, obviously it's pretty useless technology for myself personally, given that I mostly play competitive multiplayer games and, you know, if I do play a single player game, I generally keep the frame rates high enough where frame generation is not typically necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I'm not, I'm not a big fan of frame generation, at least in its current state. So um, I'm happy to see that ranked <laughs> quite low. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how those features go in the future, whether more exposure to things like FSR3, for example, will increase the amount of AMD owners, for example, that care about frame generation features and, mm -hmm how those things go. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward split, I think, for, for most things. VRAM, again, probably surprised me a little bit considering the prevalence of 8 gigabyte GPUs. But yeah, generally, I guess a lot of it makes sense. And yeah, so thanks to everyone that filled out our little survey, pretty interesting results. And I think some of those things as well, hump for things like our coverage, thinking about how do we evaluate things like how much performance we should be expecting from generation to generation, what features are important to cover and how, how you guys are seeing these things, you know, is it in line with how we see things? And yeah, I think it's been pretty insightful. So yeah, let me know what you think about surveys in the comments below and we'll see whether we can do a few more in the future if you're interested in doing them. And yeah, I had fun. I enjoyed looking through all this data last night and um, splitting out some of these things. So appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about our boring lives. All right, we're back, Steve. Boring lives. My boring life has been figuring out all this data. There's maybe a few other things to talk about, but um, how have you been going in, the, in this past week? Just in review mode? Uh, yeah, winding down review mode. I've got a lot of testing done, so sort of the content that will be coming up over the next few weeks, I've, I've largely done the testing for that, so that's kind of nice. We obviously, we caught up. Was it, it was yesterday, right? Yeah, so, yesterday. Um, we we caught up, did the Q and A stuff. That was a big day. Uh, Balin's currently editing that, so yeah, a lot of work nice. stuff there. Um, yeah, but yeah. Now that I've I've got a little bit of free personal time that I'm going to take advantage of, so I'm going to keep working on that project under the deck where I'm converting that oh, sort yep. of a garage space. So I wired up my roller door and programmed that and got that going. So that was a. a personal first for me so um, i'm roller door certified now uh, nice. that was relatively straightforward attaching a motor to one of those things and programming and getting it working so i was quite happy with that it works like a charm 
Uh, I finished a bit of electrical work today. Got a few lights and PowerPoints and things installed. So that's good. Um, other than that, though, I haven't done too much else. Not too much to report, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty pretty boring. I'll probably mow the lawns at some point, so <laughs> keeps yeah, it relevant. I sprayed the weeds the other day for the first Ooh. time in months because it's been – the weather here has been – for spraying weeds, for example, you don't want it to be too hot or raining or too windy. And basically most of the days have been one of those three things. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the other day it was um, the perfect condition. So I went out. The weeds have gone crazy. I've just – boom. They should be all dead within a few nice. a few days. So, so yep. that was very satisfying. On the weekend, I – Spent a couple of days in Melbourne. Um, me and my partner went up there and we just took a couple of days, go around, do some things in the city, which mm-hmm. don't want to talk too much about because we did a whole bunch of very interesting and exciting things, which is against the, the boring life thing. So, yeah, had a lot of fun doing that. But the one I did have a bit of a rant Ooh, <laughs> from, okay. that was inspired by this Melbourne trip, which is phone signal. Phone signal is really bad these days. I feel like there's been very little to no improvement in like the performance of phone, internet, the ability to get coverage and things like that for years and years now. And I was in one of the biggest population centers in Australia. It's got 5 million people, high-rise buildings, it's built up. You'd be expecting that in most areas, phone coverage would be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nope, not really. Still sucks. It's still slow and crappy. I'm I'm on the Telstra network, which is the biggest network in Australia is supposed to have the best coverage of performance and things. Not really that impressive. At my place, coverage is not great. At your place, it's middling. It's very, yeah, it's very good at my place and generally performance has been good, but it's been patchy for January, but in their defense, they have uh, scheduled maintenance. So it's 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 been okay, but we've had days where it's been awful and we had a day where there was no reception at all, but again, they warned us of that. Generally speaking, I have a I have a tower for my town. I have direct line of sight to it, uh, and there's <laughs> yeah, which and, is and, nice, and, and and it's a small population out here. So I think I'm kind of almost spoilt. Like it, it, it's a best case scenario, but I agree with you. You go further into the inner suburbs, and yeah, it's patchy reception and performance isn't good. It's quite baffling. Yeah, I feel like there was all this talk like a couple of years ago about like 5G, like, oh, let's get this 5G going. So we'll have, you know, you'll be able to upload videos and stream like 24K videos or whatever their metrics were all at once. Mm-hmm. And then you use internet in the city of Melbourne and it's like horrible. Like you can stream a video or two, but it's not like it, my main issue is the lack of improvement, really. I remember mm-hmm. like back when I, before Hardware Unboxed, my main thing that I was covering at TechSpot was mobile phones. So I was reviewing, I think back when I started was around sort of like the very first generation of 4G phones, right around the 3G to 4G transition. So this was like your early iPhone, Android days. 4G was sort of a big thing. And I remember testing the first 4G phone, I'm like, this is actually like quite a lot better, like faster, ran well, good signal. And then since then, it's just been this plateau of like yeah, we're still really it. not much. So not and, good. And, and look, you can you can defend Australian internet by saying that Australia is such a vast continent, but at the same time, people are pretty localized around the coast. So I don't know how well yeah. that flies, but let's let's give the benefit of the doubt on that one. But when you drive into a major city with, like, as you say, like 5 million people, mm-hmm. what's the excuse there? And then you go from, you know, we fly over to Taiwan once a year. 
you go to Taiwan, you buy a SIM card with a lot of data for next to nothing, and it's just blistering fast and works everywhere in, in Taipei. So I feel like if they can do it there, we should be able to do it here. But Yeah, that's right. I mean, Melbourne's tally. probably <laughs> got more people than Taipei City, I, I would have thought. Not Certainly. sure. Not sure on that one. I wouldn't have thought so, but maybe I'm wrong. Have to Google have that one. Either way, so Melbourne is be about Melbourne's about double the population of Taipei City. Oh, Don't okay. know whether that includes New Taipei or not. I mean, they've got nine million people in their urban population, so that is more than Melbourne. Um, but it's Taipei is built up, but Melbourne has a, like a big co congregation of high-rise buildings all in the one spot, which can impact signal a little bit. But even then, like Taipei Metro doesn't matter. They've got mountain. Taipei is built right next to mountains. It all <laughs> works. Like, it all works, all works really flawlessly. Well. Speeds yeah. are really good. In Melbourne, it's like if you're going to somewhere that's like just slightly in like an underground building or something or like first floor, a lift's horrible, doesn't work. I, I think that's the case in some places as well. But even out my way, like I don't – like the nearest city to me is not Melbourne. It's a small city, doesn't have high rises or something. The signal there has been horrible for years. It's been – there's mm. parts where you barely get any signal at all. I feel like my phone's running on one bar like the majority of the time, which is very frustrating. And Yeah, so anyway, that was annoying. And it's it's not like that this like impacted my wonderful weekend away with my partner or anything, which was great and we did lots of fun things. But it was just interesting going around the city and being like, huh, you know, I'm, I'm standing in one of the busiest parts of Australia right now and I've got one bar on my phone and – Things are like struggling to load. So anyway, that annoyed me. People need to invest more in phone towers in Australia. Get get more phone towers. Yeah, that's right. And then they do an event at the tennis or the MCG or something like that, and then oh. it just doesn't doesn't work at all. Like yeah. I, I remember, I remember going to an AFL game, just a regular mid season yeah. AFL game, and I took one of my daughters. I'm trying to message my wife to let her know like how things are going when we're going to leave. And it was like I was sending messages to the moon. There was like a 20-minute delay <laughs> between when they were like going out and coming in. So it yeah. took most of the game to have like a four-second conversation. Disappointing, annoying. I've had very similar experiences at ovals like that when you've got not even that many people. I mean, I guess it's a lot of people in a small area, but still like mm. I know stadiums in other countries, they invest in like specific phone towers at the stadium for, mm -hmm. for certain brands and things like that. You don't really get that here, unfortunately. So yeah, maybe they're being a bit complacent because in Australia there are three main carriers and companies like Optus have had big scandals and Vodafone is sort of, you know, if you're interested in coverage, typically people don't go with Vodafone. So it's almost a monopoly in some we're, ways here. Yeah, we're all about downgrades in Australia. We like a downgrade, you know. Yeah. Uh, she'll be right, mate. Now, nah, bugger it. Just, yep. just downgrade it. It's easier. I know it's like signed up to Foxtel. I think I got one of their Easter special deals. I was paying $50 a month. It was meant to be $60. And I got an email. It's now $80 um, once, once my deal, which I'll probably cancel it after that because I'll just use KO. KO's going to 4K now. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And I've already got a KO account that I was paying for as well because I let people use that. Anyway, um, I was paying for both. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the Foxtel if the KO 4K is good. But it's like I just signed up for it. And less than a year later, they're like, well, we're making this thing substantially more expensive and we're also making it worse. So there's less concurrent streams you can now have. So we're getting yep. it just just so we're clear, we're making it we're making it worse and more expensive. So 
Yeah, good job, right? Yeah, and then when you when you ring up to be like, I want to cancel it, they're like, What? You can we? <laughs> what can we do to keep you? It's like, okay, well, let's start with making the service better and cheaper, or at least the same price and better, not substantially worse and substantially more expensive. And they're like, mm, not. I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> good luck cancelling Foxtel. So Foxtel's like our cable. Uh, subscription box, you get a physical box sent to your house and stuff. Which you don't need. And, and stuff. No, because they just stream it over the internet. But yes, that's like your equivalent of things in the US, which would be cable. But basically, I used to have that as well. And man, trying to cancel that service, they put you through an, a very annoying phone call. So yeah, I'll get have fun with that. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, I was saying to, you know, I was going to switch over my Foxtel, the cable service to KO, just streaming to stream AFL matches and cricket matches. And I was like, so, you know, the, I'm, I'm switching over to KO. The only thing that will keep me on Foxtel is if you can match the price of KO, right? Like I'm not interested mm -hmm. in all the other features. Either you match the price, which was substantially less, or I'm leaving. And I'm like, so what's your best price? And they're like, um, we can make it $10 cheaper per month. I'm like, thank you for your offer, but that's a horrible deal and I will not be taking it. So Goodbye sit me through all those terrible questions that you're making me answer and I'll send everything back and cancel. And yeah, there's really nothing they could say from that point. It's like, again, if you're going to be offering the same service for more expensive, you know, that's a, a worse price or whatever. And and the streaming on PC for Foxtel is way worse than KO too. It, at mm -hmm. least when I had it, it just was janky, didn't work nearly as well as KO. I was like, nah, not paying for this anymore. So anyway, enjoy your phone call because it sucks. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, anyway, that's it for this episode of the Hard Run Box Podcast, episode 21. Hopefully you've all enjoyed some survey results, talking about Ryzen 5 5700, bit of ranting at the end there. And yeah, we'll be back next week with some more discussion of topics and things. Hopefully we'll have be, there'll be some interesting news things to talk about. So we'll get to that next week. If you want to, I don't know, you're probably listening to this. You've gotten to the end. You're already listening on the audio feed or the YouTube feed, but those are available on our YouTube channel, the Hard Run Box Podcast, Spotify, uh, all those Apple podcasts, whatever people listen to. It's all available through there and you can you know, get the audio version a little earlier than the YouTube version. And yeah, thanks for listening. That's it for this one. We'll see you in the next episode. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.